is that you have used God, you have read God's word, you've experienced and you have meditated on it, you have been thinking about it day and night. That you think about God's word before you go to school, you think about God's God's word after school. He goes on in Psalm 119 and in verse 11, he says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that we need to learn to internalize God's word. That's how we take God's word with us, is that we internalize it, we absorb it, we're thinking about it all of the time. God's word is something that is important to us, and we need to be thinking about it throughout the day and throughout whenever we test it, when we're throughout certain times of difficulty or good times when we rejoice. We need to be thinking about God's Word. He says in verse 15, I will meditate on your guard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your Word. Do not forget to have God's Word with you because in every test and in every trial, the Word of God is going to be needed. Whenever in science class and you are introduced to the theory of evolution and they suggest that God did not create the world in six literal days, that that's absurd, that's a category of myth that people at church who are uneducated have taught you. When they say that, when they suggest that it has taken billions of years for life to form and that it began with one single cell of an organism that has now mutated and evolved and changed what we now see. When you are introduced to that, then are you going to stand up for what the Bible says? For they suggest that we have gone from goo to you by way of the zoo and clever learned from A.W. Gaw. Uh, preacher back in Arkansas. When they suggest that, are you going to stand up for what is right and what is true? When you are taught about society and morality and the pressures of accepting and tolerating homosexuality and transgenderism, that those are things that the Bible speaks against. The mutilation of your body and things of that nature. Are you going to stand against that? Are you going to stand for what's right? Those are things that are not going to come easy. And I don't envy you as a young person to have to stand against or loved ones that have chosen that kind of lifestyle. Those are challenges that are difficult. Or whenever you're taught that no matter what bathroom someone chooses to use, that you have to tolerate and accept their choice and their sin, you're going to need to know God's Word. That's why the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 8, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews the 8th chapter, the Hebrew writer would say there in verse 10, as he says, talking about the new covenant, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's people are going to be people who internalize and they put God's Word 
into their life and into their heart. They think about it all of the time. They're going to be prepared for trials and tribulations and temptations. And we must have the Word of God deeply rooted within us. It needs to be in our heart. It needs to be in our mind. We need to be thinking about God's words. And that's going to become evident in the way that we conduct ourselves. And so before you go to school, when you come home from school, read your Bible, spend time in God's Word, because you are going to be pressured to accept things as true and right that are opposed to the Bible, that are opposed to godliness. Stand strong. Study the Word of God. And parents, that's something that you can facilitate. You can help your children by having devotionals at night. And you can spend time in prayer. Spend time at the dinner table. That's something that is kind of an antiquated idea now. The family coming together to eat all at the same time. I know busy schedules may sometimes change that and be a challenge to that. But having time to come together to spend time. Talk about what was learned in Bible class. Talk about things that are going on at school and how you can help answer those things and respond to some of those challenges that your children might be facing with a godly perspective, with a biblical perspective. You need to take God's Word with you when you go to school. You also need, secondly, keep your virtue. In the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter, as he is talking about things that of our faith that would help us to become more and more like God, our character. He tells us that we need to add to our faith, that we need to use all diligence to adding these qualities and characteristics to our faith. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply Moral excellence, as the New American Standard Bible translates it. I like that translation. Maybe some of the translations are the word virtue. Add to your faith virtue. The word virtue, it comes from this word that means excellence or worthiness, that it does what it's supposed to do. You know, if you go out after services this morning and you go out to your car and you have a key and you put it in ignition and you crank the car, you're going to expect that car to turn on and run. You're going to expect that engine to start humming, aren't you? You're going to expect... In classical Greek, that's what the word virtue meant, that it does what it's supposed to do. That whatever it is, whatever object or whatever role that we might all have, that we fulfill that role. And whenever we think of it, character, because there are going to be temptations that we face, that we are going to have to be prepared as Peter tells us. And we're going to have to be prepared. And that 
choice and that preparation begins today. It begins right now. It doesn't begin in the moment whenever we are tempted, when we face a temptation. That Are we going to participate in drugs or alcohol? Or are we going to dress immodestly like everyone else? Or are we going to be tempted to engage in sexual activity before marriage? Those are going to be temptations that we all face at some point, at, at some time or another. And you need to make the decision today, right now, right now, that I am going to be morally excellent. I'm going to be virtuous. I'm going to do what God expects me to do. That's a way in which you think of virtue. And many times, I'm afraid we fail in temptations. When temptation comes and we give in to temptation, we give in to pressure, that peer pressure from our friends. Sometimes we give in to that a little bit too quickly and a little bit too easily because we didn't prepare ourselves. We didn't prepare to say no. I'm not going to do that. That is against God's will. We need to be thinking about that decision and those words right this moment. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 39, we read of about a young man. His name was Joseph. Who was sold by his brothers into Egypt. He was being pressured by a woman to engage in sexual activity that would have been unlawful for him. And Joseph responded in such a a wonderful way. He said in verse 9 that there is no one greater in this house than I and he is talking to his master Potiphar. He withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You see, Joseph understood the reality of what was going to be involved in that choice. That if he gave in to the sexual temptation and pressure from Potiphar's wife, then he was going to sin against God. He was going to sin against God and that would have destroyed his soul. There's another temptation that I think is going to be difficult for us. By us, I mean not just school-age kids, but anyone living in this day and age. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul seems to be describing the lifestyle of those who lived in the Roman Empire and all the worldliness and all the ungodliness, all wickedness and the homosexuality, the murder, the violence, all of the things that had taken place in that world in which he lived in. And in Romans chapter 1, in verse 32, the very last verse of that chapter, Paul, he says, And although they know 
ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You know, one thing that we're going to be tempted to do is that while we may not engage in some of these sexual activities or that we're not going to... Uh, we're going to refuse to involve ourselves in the drugs and alcohol, but we're not, we're, what we're going to be tempted to do is to stay silent about those things. And we're going to act and appear as if we think, hey, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with doing that. That's going to be a temptation that many of us face where we seem to give approval to the activities and that we're going to be pressured into silence. And Peter warns us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that if we fail to be adding thing, all these things to our faith, but in particular virtue, we are neglecting the salvation that God tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Can you imagine forgetting your salvation? And he says, therefore, verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. The key to success is keeping your virtue, keeping your excellence, and living in the way that God wants you to live. And how He has created you as a new person in Jesus Christ. A third thing that we need to do that's very practical and for all of us is that we need to watch our speech. The Apostle Paul would warn in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, in Ephesians the fourth chapter, and in verse 29, Paul would say, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He would go on in chapter 5. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 3, he says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not be, even be named among you as is proper among saints. So he's talking about the proper disposition, the proper behavior among saints, those who are sanctified as children of God. He goes on in verse 4, and there must be no filthy and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Those words that talks about filthiness or silly talk or coarse testing. I think you can think about things as t telling dirty or crude jokes or gossiping and slandering someone, lying. Those are behaviors that ought not to be in the life of a Christian. In the book of Colossians, which is oftentimes very much uh, a, a mirror of the book of Ephesians, in 
Colossians chapter 4. Notice how Paul says it here in Colossians chapter 4 and in verse 6. He says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Uh, our speech, it doesn't need to be corrupt. We don't need to be using foul language. We need to put away those cuss words that we hear. And we hear it all the time. And let me tell you something, that even as you grow up, it's going to be hard to get away from it. It's, it's going to be around all of the time. There's going to be people who always speak with a foul tongue. There are going to be people who harm you and seek to destroy you with their speech and with their tongue. While we might toughen up our kids a little bit, calling them sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. I think we don't need to. I think we need to get rid of that saying personally, because words can cause deep wounds. The way that you say things can cause a lot of problems. The tongue is extremely powerful. In which the book of Proverbs tells us, Proverbs chapter 15. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Words produce a response. That's the nature of word and communication. It produces a response. Feelings can be hurt. It can cause people to retaliate and possibly sin against you through their speech. The tongue can destroy. It can destroy friendships. It can destroy your reputation. It can destroy your influence. The way that you talk. So how are you talking to people? Talk about people. Those are things that we all have to reflect on from time to time. We have to be sure that we put away the corrupt speech because it is not fitting. It is not appropriate for a Christian to talk that way. We need to watch our speech. We need to watch our language. We need to put away the lies, the gossiping, the slandering, the cursing, and the dirty, crude jokes and jesting that you can oftentimes hear. And while you may not be able to control what you hear, a lot of times you may just happen to be an innocent bystander. You don't have to repeat it. And you don't have to, you don't have to help push it along. You don't have to engage with it. You can say, don't say stuff like that around me, please. You can say, I'm a Christian. I don't want to hear that kind of thing. You can stand up for what is right. Which goes to our final point. We need to choose our friends wisely. The Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 that evil companions corrupt good morals. There's a lot of truth in that short statement. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. 
I'm going to look at several passages in the Proverbs this morning on this final point that help us see the importance of our friendships and relationships that we choose to associate with. In Proverbs chapter 13, in Proverbs chapter 13 and in verse 20, Solomon says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. There is an instant warning right there about who you associate with. Who are you going to be friends with? Walk with the wise On everything, the way that you think, the things that you do, the places you go. And the other side of that is true as well. That if you are a good friend, if you are wise, then you can have a positive influence and a positive impact on your friends. So what kind of image are you projecting? How do you walk? How do you live? Are you that good friend that is influencing others? Or are you allowing your bad friends to influence you? In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 17. In Proverbs 17 and in verse 9, I think these are things that we need to think about often when we select our friends. In Proverbs 17 and in verse 9, he says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Have you ever had a friend who you told them something that you did that you shouldn't have done? You were honest with them because they were trustworthy, you thought they were your friend, but then what happens? out about it and they told someone else. And they tell and that person tells someone else. And then all of a sudden everyone knows or at least a good number of people around you know what you did that you're ashamed of. A true friend is not going to betray your trust. A true friend is going to be someone who can be a confidant, someone that you can turn to and that they can Say, I am not going to tell anyone else. Another thing about friendship that we learn just a few verses later in verse 17 of Proverbs 17. Verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity, he says. True friends are not going to be the ones who run away and leave you look like the guilty one. True friends are going to be the ones who stick with you. Maybe in hard times, in difficult times, and in good times. They're not going to be jealous of you. They're not going to backbite you whenever you do something well, whenever you are successful and maybe you exceed them. They're not going to turn their back on you. They're going to be there. They're going to be committed to you. They're going to celebrate with you. And that is whenever your friendship becomes deeper, it can become a brotherhood of sorts. Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27 and in verse 6. 
We also learn about true friendship. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. True friends are always going to tell you what you want to hear. That may not seem like our like the best idea of a friend whenever someone tells you, hey, I need to talk to you. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have gone to this place or you shouldn't hang out with this person or you shouldn't date this person. Maybe you have a friend that has done that. Maybe you get mad. Maybe you don't like hearing those words from that person. But if you have a friend like that, you need to be thankful for someone like that. Because what Solomon is trying to get us to see is that many times the people who use flattery or the people who are always agreeing with you, they're the ones that you have to watch out for the most. Trust the person who will lovingly confront you and challenge you and test you and tell you, hey, maybe you need to rethink this. That is the essence of true friendship. And while maybe as, as you may struggle with selecting friends, you may not understand and appreciate that right now at your age or where you're at in school and things like that. But as you get older, trust me, I think if, every, if I called on every person here to nod their head or to raise their hand, I think they would agree with this. Because they see the wisdom in it. And then in Proverbs chapter 18, in Proverbs chapter 18, one of my favorite Proverbs, verse 24, a man with too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When we are in middle school, junior high, high school, I remember you wanted to be popular, didn't you? I, I, I wanted to have friends. If you call that popularity or not, I don't know. But I wanted to be well-liked. I wanted people to enjoy being around me. I wanted to be around them. I wanted to have a lot of friends. But what this passage teaches us is that it's not about the quality of friendships. Or it's not about the quantity of friendships. Let me rephrase that. It's not about the number of friendships that you have. It's about the quality of friendships that you have. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And while because of youth and age or experience just may not be on our side. We're picking our friends. We're going to pick some duds. We're going to pick some good ones. We're going to have a mix of in-between. Your parents are going to be able to help you with this. When I was in sixth grade, don't ever, all you kids don't think, oh, man, he was ain't that's ancient. That's a long time ago. It was longer than I would have preferred. 
Sixth grade, I still remember it. And I had a friend that came over, and he stayed the night, came from school, and he went to church with me on, on Sunday morning. And hot tarts or something like that for, for breakfast that morning. Something real simple. And, you know, my mom was, you know, happy to fix however many pop tarts we, we wanted. We were sixth grade. You know, 12, 13 years ago, on that age. So, uh, you know, eat as much as you want, basically. Young boys. Well, you know, we eat it and go on. And then we go to church, and I, I don't know anything has happened. But then my mom, it, later that afternoon, after my friend left, he, she was going through the box of Pop-Tarts, and... She noticed that there was only one package left. And she was like, where did all those go? And she said, you know, I asked him how many he had, and he only told me he had one Pop-Tart. Well, what he did is he took about three you know, thieves of Pop-Tarts home. That may seem like a real silly example and real silly uh, illustration, but what my mom was able to perceive, and she ended up being right about this, was that this kid was not going to be a good friend. Because he lied to my mom. And my mom said, you know, I don't think he needs to be the kind of friend that you have. And as I said, my mom, wise beyond her years. She was absolutely right. Because he and I continued to go, and we were in band together and you know, kind of drifted apart soon after that. Because he started making very poor choices. In high school, by the time we were in high school, he was a drug addict and involved in all sorts of immoral and godly behavior. And I just think back on that as, as I got older and I was able to perceive my, my mom saw something there. So if your parents say, no, I don't want you hanging around that person, your parents probably have a gut instinct. Trust them on that and don't give them grief about it. Another thing, I have a friend, I think about this, Proverbs 18, verse 24. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother of mine. One of my best friends from school he and I still talk to this day. I've got one friend from high school that I talk to to this day. I, at least on a regular basis. He, he, he and I are still very close. We've been through a lot together. We went to college together. We've been there for each other in good times and in bad times. And I tell you, while I might have been chasing at one point having a lot of friends, I wouldn't give up that one friendship in all the years that it has withstood some trials and some tests and some hard times. Trust me, there have been some hard times, especially for him. I wouldn't give up those years of friendship 
with that one friend versus having, if I could have had 20 in high school and junior high and middle school, that I don't have anything to talk to them about today. I would still, I would give up. I would not give it up. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friendship is hard. Friendship is difficult. And with the rise of social media, your friendships can become very public very quickly. You can, all of us who are on those things, we can see who you're friends with. We can see who you talk to and what you talk about and how you behave through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, Snapchat. All those things are very public through the pictures that are posted on social media, through the drama that is stirred up or that you involve yourself in, or the constant complaining and griping of how people behave. What people see is very public. And while we might be able to see a lot of it, God sees everything. You might be able to hide some things about your friends, from your parents or from people at church. But God knows. Choose your friends wisely as you go back to school. And if you will follow these four simple principles, and I think you will have a successful school year, but more importantly, you will have a successful life. And this morning, if you have reached an age of accountability, you have come to realize that you have sinned and you have fallen short of God's glory and that you need to become a child of God. You need to become a Christian. You would have no greater joy than to help you and to assist you to become a child of God. If you would believe in Jesus Christ and confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins, if you will repent of your sins and be baptized in water, you can have your sins forgiven and washed away. Maybe it is that you are someone who has done that. Maybe you did that as a child or a, a teenager. But you've left the Lord and you have been unfaithful to Him and you want to come back and seek God's forgiveness and His mercy. He's willing to forgive you if you will but come back to Him. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?